Hello, my name is Christopher Brooks and I'm the host of Experience the Difference, the European Customer Experience Organisation's podcast series. In this series, we meet members from the ECXO to talk about the progress, the problems and the practical solutions they're applying to customer experience in the world today. Today's guest is Anne-Laure de Boisier. Anne-Laure is the co-founder of Maybe. Maybe is a new platform available to clients which helps to measure customer emotions and turn them into actionable insight. I caught up with Anne-Laure to hear more about her thinking on customer experience and how it's evolved with the relevance of emotions being a part of everyday customer experience management. So we're here today uh, with, with Anne-Laure, who uh, we're delighted has joined us on the Experience the Difference podcast. And, and we're going to get into talking about the, the really important topic of emotion in customer experience. But before we do, let's introduce you to Anne-Laure and, uh, and hear more from her. So good afternoon, Anne-Laure. How are you? Good. Thank you for uh, welcoming me uh, on your podcast. <laughs> You're very welcome. And we're really keen that we understand that this really key topic and get your perspective on it. So we look forward to hearing that. But before we do, it's always great to give our, our listeners a, a better appreciation of, of your current role in the world of customer experience. And, and more interestingly, sort of the journey you've taken to get there. I'm the co-founder of a startup uh, named Mayabi. And Mayabi is a, a customer experience uh, management platform, so a new generation of customer experience management platform that is based uh, on emotions. And this platform is used by retail teams to facilitate uh, the decisions they are making at the point of sale. So that's what I do today. But before creating uh, Mayabi, I worked in market research for more than uh, 18 years. Uh, both in France and in the US. So I have the double, um, dual perspective uh, in terms of culture. And because of this experience in market research, I'm uh, pretty familiar with uh, understanding decision uh, processes, purchase decision processes, and the role emotions have across different cultures. My last job was uh, being a business uh, unit manager with a focus on um, luxury and lifestyle uh, brands. So I actually got to sell and use uh, metrics like NPS or customer satisfaction or even mystery shopping. And so this is when I started to experience uh, some limitations around those metrics. And it's also uh, when I started, of course, to have the idea of uh, creating Mayabi. And also uh, it's when I um, actually met my uh, business partner, uh, Caroline, Excellent. W wonderful. Thank you so much for that. So your background is in research, but interestingly, you've been working with some of the more conventional metrics that we use in customer experience. Really interesting to find people who push the boundaries, raise the yeah. standards. And I think one of the things in the European Customer Experience Organization, it's great to kind of share information with those who, who want to challenge what's going yes. on as opposed to just comply with it. Because I think you know, the only way for progress is to sort of leave behind what we've done before and recognise it was a stepping stone to the future rather than carrying it as heavy luggage everywhere we go yes, because we've, we've, we've always had it, so we've always got to carry it. That was that's... Our, our ambition, uh, yes, with Mayabi. It was really mm. to challenge uh, the existing systems. How did you start to kind of identify how emotions are going to play 
a much stronger part than just rational drivers than, than people had previously thought. But it all started with a project we conducted with like a big uh, like luxury uh, group uh, to actually uh, develop a new way of uh, measuring customer experience. And when I started to work on this project, the only thing I knew was about uh, net promoter score, uh, mystery shop. But because they started to challenge us on those metrics, saying, uh, hey, we are a luxury group. We cannot really use a standard uh, NPS. It really looks like uh, we are not so different. It's not very good for our image. And also, um, because we are a luxury um, brand, we are going to reach very high scores of NPS. So we don't really, it will not be useful for us to improve and to reach the standard of excellence of a, of a luxury brand. So we got pretty, um, we got uh, challenged around those metrics. That's why I started to think, okay, we need to find uh, another solution. And we actually, um, went back to some academic research in behavioral science because we had this expertise in behavioral science. Went back to research. We read books uh, about uh, uh, customer experience, about just even an experience in general. And we tried to uh, get some inspiration from there to propose a new solution to this uh, luxury brand. And they were very happy with it. And um, so the project went well. However, uh, they did not actually build a real solution to embody, to encapsulate all our recommendations. So we did a great, I think, a consulting job. The luxury brand did not uh, bring it to life. So we decided to uh, not stay at the level of consultancy, but when we created Mayabi, we wanted to really be able to provide a product, a solution to, to brands that would encapsulate uh, all what we've learned from behavioral science, providing a, a solution, a real product. When you moving into these fresh territories, isn't it? I mean, you, you're, you're working with, with a client who's kind of given you permission to go forward in these areas. But what motivated you? What was your guiding star to kind of go forward? Were you, were you looking to, to break boundaries or, or was it a case of, you know, we need to get the right outcomes for the customer, our client, and therefore, yeah. you know, how, how we take this forward is it, it needs to be this way. I mean, what, what, what drove you in that direction? Yes, so we wanted to address the problems from uh, our client at the beginning. <laughs> so it was really uh, wanted to to satisfy our customer. So that's why we we went to uh, to this to this direction. But after what we assumed is that if this client had this kind of uh, issues and uh, challenges around traditional metrics, this client was probably not alone problem. So that's why also uh, we said, okay, let's see if we can develop a product that would address several actually uh, clients uh, in the luxury uh, in the luxury industry the other thing is i think i'm uh, with my business partner we are we love shopping we are customers ourselves and we are customers of those brands so that's why also we felt like it's important this emotional part of the experience is, is very important because we experienced it uh, ourselves one of the big challenges i i find is Obviously, it's owned by the customer. They're the ones who who go through it. They're the ones who feel that anxiety or that relief or that exhilaration. It's much harder to get clients to understand 
just what that feels like. Whereas it's very easy for them to understand the behavioral change they can get when they change prices or product features. Yeah. So, so, so part of this I can see is the methodology of capturing it. But then mm. how, how do you contain that kind of very mm. different currency of emotion and get, yeah. the, get, get your clients kind of engaged on, on the journey of focusing on how do we create a less anxious experience or how do we create a more exhilarating mm. experience? But I, so, yes, I agree that it's, um, it's kind of um, striking to me on one hand, uh, we all agree that emotions matter, and it's almost like a pet theme. However, we kind of tend to to leave the creation of emotional experience up to the chance, or we believe that uh, it's going to rely on intuition. Oh, emotion is something personal. It really depends on each individual, so it's difficult to integrate those emotions in a process. And there is a big difference in the way uh, companies tackle the fluidity of an experience from a functional standpoint. So as you say, the price or uh, how, where should I place uh, the checkout in my boutique or whatever, and the way uh, the company is going to tackle the emotional quality of the experience. They do not proceed in the same way. So when you tackle the fluidity of an experience, you kind of rely on a process, you rely on design thinking, on UX experts. There is a method when we talk about emotional experience. In this case, there is no real process. There is no real like expert. We tend to rely on the individual creativity of the team or on the, the intuition of the team in the company. But to me, we are missing a method when we talk about uh, emotions. It's like if people believe there is a contradiction between emotions and uh, having a method. And to me, that's why for some people in a company, tackling customers' emotions, it kind of look like mounting the Everest. It's like uh, something uh, that looks very difficult. It's, uh, it's too random. Uh, I cannot control it. So I'm going to kind of uh, leave the emotional part of the experience kind of as an afterthought. And it's not immediately integrated in the design of the customer experience. And personally, I'm really convinced that we should be able to address customer emotions also using a method, using a, a science, if we manage to have this method, it will also remove a lot of pressure from people who are working on, a, on customer experience. And that's why we are using a, a science, so behavioral science, to build a framework that will facilitate the creation of customer emotions. From my engagement with some luxury brands, it's very easy in their design to create aesthetically pleasing experiences mm. if i take for instance i went to a luxury retailer and i was shown around the store and they showed me a staircase where coco chanel had come down and mm -hmm. a private room mm -hmm. where uh, world famous directors had launched their films as they took me around i went over to the point of purchase and i was horrified by what i saw and I was thinking from an emotional perspective, if I am a regular shop, I'm probably standing here with a, a six-figure sum in my bank account. 
And I look at the insecurity now I see ahead of me, which is the payment experience. And I start to worry about the capability of this organization to manage my money. And I just looked around and I just thought I could see that 95% of what they classed as experience was aesthetics. But what really mattered to me was, can I trust this organization going forward? I'm not a customer of theirs. So maybe I would forgive that point of purchase, but it felt too big. And yet they hadn't understood what was really mattering to me. So I, I can see how your, your work can really show some light on the different touch points and help the colleagues in these organizations really understand what's important um, in terms of the, the emotional context. Can I just come to a, one thing is buzzing around my head, though, because in the world of customer experience, there are many companies who have taken the conventional metrics and built systems around them to try and sell a system. Mm-hmm. And you kind of say to them, what should I measure? And they will say, oh, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And the real answer is, you know, I don't, I don't really care because I've got a system I want to, you know, that's what I want to promote. You obviously have a situation where you've got very complex drivers of choice working there. Do you systemize? Can you systemize? Is is there a need to systemize? I mean, what, what happens in that space? Yes, we systemize and we, we can integrate our framework into the existing system. But so what we believe is two things. The first one is that when you think about an experience, not all moments of the experience have the same value. So, and typically what you were saying earlier, the, the checkout, so the end of the experience is a very important moment of the experience. But then also during the rest of the experience, you cannot consider that all the moments are equal, that a positive experience is not an experience without negatives. It's an experience that will be able to create emotional peaks. And it actually has very important implications when you think about managing customer experience, because it means that the priority for a brand is not to correct all pain points uh, and to deliver a 100% frictionless experience because it's almost impossible for a brand. But what's going to be important is to be able to create those emotional peaks to make the experience uh, memorable. And that's also how you're going to differentiate yourself. Because if you only focus on removing pain points, what you're going to get at the end is a pretty standard experience. It's the same as any other experience. And when you are a luxury brand, of course, this is not what you want. And uh, this principle comes actually from behavioral science, uh, from the pick and end rule, that your goal is to be able to create exciting moments uh, to make sure that you have at least one peak, emotional peak during the experience. So that's really our first principle that's going to structure our system. Then once you say that, you could be, okay, what should I do? How do I uh, build those peaks? So uh, we can find uh, inspiration in science. Uh, because uh, if you, I don't know if you know this book written by um, Dan and Chip Heath, the title of the book is The Power of Moments. And in this book, they actually analyze different kinds of uh, experiences, such as a graduation, a trip abroad, dinner in a restaurant, a board meeting. So lots of different experiences. 
And while they analyze all these experiences, they realize that there are four common characteristics to those, to those experiences. And we use those four triggers in our solution to systematize the way we think about emotional experiences, to design your experience. And you can use those four triggers also to measure, to monitor uh, the customer experience. Those two parts really do bring it to life. I've worked previously, many years ago, with a technique called ZMET, which um, Professor Sultan looked at uh, metaphors and similes in terms of we're, we're, we're lousy as communicators, aren't we? And and we use metaphors and similes much more effectively than we do just uh, our narrative. And I remember the, the chief executive for a large bank hearing this stuff about um, men wear hats because they don't like confrontation and uh, th- these sorts of things. He was about to flip the desk over <laughs> because the research, it was fascinating stuff from the research company. But when he said, so how do I apply this? What do I do? They were like, we don't know. It's exciting stuff. We know that couples like growing vegetables to put on the table when their parents come over to prove that they're actually coping in life. And it was to the point you just said, I need to code it. I need to codify this to understand how exactly. I can mm. it. So that second that, part that you talk about is so powerful. The second trigger is about the elevation. So it's the ability of the brand to uh, surprise you, make sure yeah. you have a pleasant surprise, that you go beyond the routine. The third trigger is the alignment, to create a connection with your customer, to uh, have the feeling that you share uh, common values, you are part of the same community. And the last trigger is about the knowledge, to, uh, to make sure that uh, the customer is going to uh, fuel their curiosity, is going to learn something about the brand. There'll be many people out there who, who want to explore the topic further. I, I'm guessing we've spoken about luxury, but you see this as being evidenced in mass consumer brands, in B2B. This is generic, isn't it, in terms of a, a concept mm. that could be taken elsewhere? primary focus has been on luxury brands because they are mm-hmm. kind of ahead of the game in terms yeah, of uh, yeah. emotions. But yes, at the end of the day, everybody should tend to this uh, direction. One, one question perhaps you can help answer, which I think probably will be in the lips of some of our listeners is, this is all very well and good, but you know, our senior leadership team are wed to some of these conventional metrics. How would someone go about helping senior leaders to understand measuring the actual change you want to achieve looking to identify how important emotions are in achieving that change what would be your advice to them to kind of start that conversation with their senior leadership team the first step the idea is not to replace the existing uh, metrics because we know it's important to uh, keep like some history and to be reassured not change you know drastically everything But what we recommend is to integrate our questions, our metrics into the existing system. So you can Mm -hmm. uh, have, and then to conduct some uh, correlation analysis to see how the kind of traditional metrics and our metrics are uh, correlated and to see then uh, which one is going to be uh, the most impactful in terms of actionability. The boss of a company, what you want is uh, your team to be able to take actions, not just to look at metrics. So if you you see your team being able to make actions based on metrics, 
uh, it's easy to make a decision about which tool to use. <laughs> Behavioral drivers are still sadly more of a, a fringe discussion rather than <clears throat> the core discussion in, in customer centricity. At this stage, how do you socialize discussions and get those very conventional thinkers in CX on board? And, and coming back to the ECXO, obviously as a community, we have a lot of long-standing CX practitioners in there who will stand up and you know fight nail and tooth for some of the conventional measures. But we've also got some some individuals new into the industry and they are rightly challenging are these things working do they really work how do you find that you know a community like the ecx so is it healthy in terms of being able to broadcast your opinions do you get good response from people when you're interacting yes because i think what's uh, what's interesting in this type of organizations is that we are all uh, experts of our uh, topics so it means that we are all uh open to listen. So actually, it doesn't yeah. mean that you agree with uh, yeah. everybody. But at least when you are uh, professionals and uh, experts of a topic, you are open to listen to others. So it's it's a starting point. <laughs> Personally, uh, I do the same. I like uh, listening to other people, share their perspective, even if it's not the same as, uh, as mine. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of building up and uh, we can actually uh, develop a better uh, a better system i think to me it's very important to be open to an evolution of all this customer experience measurement system because customer experience is changing so we see it every day we have a new kind of experiences uh, technology around the experiences is evolving uh, very quickly it will have implications on the way we measure customer experience we cannot believe that the experience customer experience of tomorrow will still be measured uh, with tools that have been developed like uh, 20 years ago so uh, i'm not saying that we need to change everything like to mm. to get rid of everything but we need also to uh, all those systems evolve to to be um, relevant for the new kind of customer experiences that are developed uh, by brands it's a continuous improvement process customer experience mm. isn't it you're always yes. working to a better outcome so it would be hypocritical if we find a better outcome but because it's not convenient we choose to ignore it I think this is one of the challenges we do have at the moment is there are better practices out there, but actually it is changing. We do need to hear mm. new voices, new ways of thinking, and it's okay if they're still experimental and we're learning and developing that capability. That, that's a good thing. That restless tension is important. So it's great to hear you talk like that, anne Lauren. You know, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of behavioural change drivers and, and fascinated to hear how your own understanding of the shortfall has led to you know your your dedication and focus in this specific area. You said earlier as well in the ECXO, there are many experts in their own area. Again, a very healthy thing to hear. There's a lot of people who say I do it all. It's kind of like you know, I like saying I do all of IT or I I, I do all of finance. It's like it's it's not that you can't <laughs> you know it's too complicated. You have to know your piece in, and get an expertise in it, which clearly you've brought to the table today. So. And look, thank you so much for, for sharing the discussion. If people want to get a hold of you and discuss this in more details, where where should they go? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so I'll be happy to, to connect. Wonderful. Look, thank you so much. I look forward to having future conversations in the ECXO with you. But for now, thank you very much for joining but us. Thank, 
Thank you very much.